in, in the worship service. Um, also, 17 through 34 is the wealthy and poor when you come together for worship, specifically the Lord's Supper. Um, so just before we get started with head coverings and things like that, <laughs> I thought, just it's normal, right? Cold. My ears are cold. Um, women of that day wore head coverings. So we just need to recognize that. That was normal. Um, women's hair was considered sexual. We have to recognize that. <laughs> um, an uncovered head was the sign of saying, I'm available. Um, head coverings also have meanings and they say something about the person. Uh, both men and women wore head coverings when they were sacrificing to a god, which is also a good thing to have and understand. Um, but also, most places of worship were for primarily for men, but now in Christ there were no male or female, no Jew, no Greek, no, no slave, no free, right? So how do we do worship together, respectfully and without distraction, when they weren't used to having those things together? So all of those things are good to kind of have going, to think about going in. Um, but um, before we start, I wanted to just give, this is kind of an illustration. We did this with our small group. Eric, Eric made me bring my head coverings. And he's like, okay, I want you to, to wear your head coverings and see how people respond. So when, I, when you came in and you saw me wearing this, what was your first response? Muslim? Yeah. Why? I have my head covered like, I'm, like a Muslim, right? Got my neck covered, my ears are covered and everything. Um, okay, so that's one type of head covering. I'm going to do it a little differently this time. Okay, so what if I wore it like, what if I wore it like this? What would you, what would you think? Like African style, okay? So in Chad, where we lived, this would have been a Christian headdress. So, because you can still have your neck or you have your ears showing, yeah, he's just everywhere these days. Um, but you have your hair covered. So this was how Christians wore their, their head covered in where we were. Um, huh? Do they still? Yeah. Did you wear that? Yeah. I had every time I left the house, I had my head covered. So, um, so you had we had that, um, and then you have. This is another way of wearing it. Like this. Yeah, so in India, yeah, they would wear wear like this. But in Chad, this would be a Muslim girl who's not married. So it all has a symbol. It all has a symbol, which I thought was interesting. We have Sadiq and Irina in our small group, and I just thought it was funny when we I did all these different styles of hairdress, and the first one when I put it up, I put it up and pulled it straight back. Um, Irina goes, "Oh, you're a married woman." In Ukraine, a married woman would have her hair pulled back like that. And so, in, not her hair, her, her headdress pulled that way. And so we have to recognize something that we don't understand in our culture because we don't have head coverings, that these things have a meaning. And so they also, you're, 
when you wear it a certain way, people say, oh, just by looking at you, I know that you're married. Just by looking at you, I know that you're single. Just by looking at you, I know that you're single but not interested in getting married. Oh my goodness. You know, so there's different ways. Yeah, we could see that a little bit more visibly now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's my, my grand, yeah, the, the ring is, is a symbol of that. Um, but not everyone wears a ring. So, you, like, you're not married, Dale. <laughs> so, but, so these are just kind of the things that we, I feel like we need to have in our minds before we start reading through the passage. Um, there, um, yeah, what was the, there was one more thing. I want to ask, so you said the men always wore like coverings when sacrificing, women too? Men and women, both. Yeah, for, for not just cults, but also for sacrifice, men wore Um, Jews had, men were, um, <laughs> their, what was, yarmulke. So, because Eric and I were talking, I said, now Paul is making it clear that you're not to have your head covered, but Jewish, all Jewish men wear their head covered. Yeah. So because it's the presence of divine, of, of the divine above you, right? And so, so Paul makes two different statements in, the, in this passage, right? One for women and one for men. We only see it from our perspective, so we only see it from the women's perspective, right? Like, am I supposed to wear my head covered? But it was also, it, for a Jewish man, this was also a big thing for Paul to say, you need to come into worship without your head covered, without your yarmulke. So there is some other aspects of it, and also um, cult like cult sacrifice was done with the head covered. So whatever, I don't know what that looked like at that time. But so these are just kind of some of the things that we have to recognize. Um, and I think sometimes we look, we have to be careful not to look at passages like this through our, forgive my terminology, through our feminist eyes, um, because we want to say like, this seems like oppression. But at that time, women didn't have even a didn't have much role in worship in other in most places. And so, uh, even if you look at the temple, the women weren't allowed to go past where the Gentiles were allowed to in Jerusalem. They were. Yeah, I. Mute or do you need the mute? I am not. I have no sound on my. So you're muted. I'm muted. Even when no one's talking, it's still like it has it's like, to be. Why don't I mute? Or no, if I mute, then it messes up. What I'm muted. Is, right? Yeah. So I don't know if it's your computer. Are they able to listen correctly on the other end? Uh -huh. You're not muted. I am muted. I'm not on audio. I am not on audio. I did not sign in with audio. Huh. Wow. See, God, Satan doesn't want us to talk about this stuff. Yeah. So, Julie, mine doesn't show that you are muted. Yeah. 
I didn't sign in with audio. Can you mute it anyway? Can you go to the left corner and try to mute? I have no audio. I'm not, I'm not signed in with audio. Oh, okay. Interesting. I just don't sign in with audio. Hmm. Are you guys hearing that in Zoom? I mute So I yeah, think. Yes, we're hearing the feedback also. Oh. What did you say? She heard the feedback. Can you hear us now? <laughs> Better? They, they can't hear us. They can't hear us at all. I don't think they can hear us now. Yeah, they can't hear us now. Can you hear us? What if we sign Julia No. But then it wouldn't go through the system. Can they hear you? Sharon, can you hear us? She can't hear. No. So why don't you sign out and sign in back with Rowdy? Because I'm the host. If I leave, how do I? I don't just feedback. Join audio. Can you hear us? Yeah. Well, I just muted and they couldn't hear me. Wow. Well, I took, I put it back. I put it, whatever. Okay, it's working now. Try. <laughs> it's working. I think so. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So we just need to keep some of these things in mind for what because we're so far removed from in our culture, what that looks like. Um, so even, even women at that time going into worship at the temple for Jewish women, they weren't allowed to go past the court of the Gentiles. I mean, it's the same place. Only men were allowed to go in. So you have, you have these things of now you're, and when Paul makes a statement, there's no male, there's no female, no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free, all of those things break down those barriers, so when you come together and worship, you're all together. And there's, no, there's nothing really saying that um, men and women were even separated, uh, like the women up in a balcony or outside the church while they met, or outside in another room. If they were together, they might have been separated like women on one side, men on the other. Um, and we still see that in... We saw, uh, we see that, that was how the church was in, when we were in Africa, especially out in the rural areas. That's just, just how it is. And you ask, like, why are you guys separate? They're like, why would we want to sit with the men? <laughs> so you're like, okay. You're like, that's just, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a good explanation for me. So, Okay, so these are just kind of some of the things we need to consider as we're going into this passage. You okay? You want me to take it? So, can someone read the? We're gonna just go one through sixteen. If someone can read. Wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. 
Fun, huh? You ready? <laughs> okay. Now we have this statement, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, which honestly people struggle with this statement, right? Because you're like, wait, aren't we supposed to be pointing people to Christ? So why is Paul saying, imitate me? But we think we need to look back in chapter 10 and how it ended. He says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Try just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of, men, but that of many, that they may be saved. So be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Does that make more sense why he says that? He's like, here's my example. I'm showing it to you. And this is, um, and he's like, I want you to imitate me in this, in the same way. So it's he's not trying to take the place of Christ. Sorry, buddy. It's almost like it should be part of chapter ten. I think it's put right in the middle because they don't know where it goes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't even look like it's part of eleven. It's kind of like yeah. Yeah, I thought that I was getting lost here, and I just read it's on 10. Mine is right in the middle of the two paragraphs, its own paragraph. <laughs> so it's quite, it's just interesting because I think they don't know exactly where it connects to. So, um, but we have to remember Paul was using his own examples in his life and how he dealt with things, um, especially in terms of his freedoms. And he's saying, I want you to take my example in these in these areas um, and so everything we know of Paul is not hey look at me I'm awesome um, he's very firm in who God made him and what his role is um, but he's also very firm in knowing his place as the lowliest among the apostles um, and so we have that uh, kind of kind of that in between of knowing where where you stand, right? In Christ. Also an example also shows the people that it's possible to accomplish. Mm -hmm. It's possible to do. Yeah. I'm not telling you to do something and then 
I'm out of it. You know, he's right there in the thick of it. We're human beings. Yeah, yeah. And it can be done. And I think just like Christ never asks us to do something that he hasn't done himself, it's the same with Paul. He's not asking them to do something that... Um, that he isn't doing, and so he says, so look at me, look at, I'm also, the way I am following Christ, I want you to also do. Um, going on to verse 2, he says that he, he's starting with the thing that he wants to say, good job, this is what you're doing well. Um, and so the question of what are the traditions is he talking about? When he says, now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the traditions even as, as I delivered them to you. Um, traditions for us as evangelicals has baggage, doesn't it? Because especially for those that have left like the Catholic Church or something like that, we go, traditions aren't always biblical, right? So. What is he talking about? But we have to recognize that this time, even the Gospels were not written. And so there was something called Jesus tradition at that time. And it was the life of Christ that was passed orally to, to um, the different churches. And so when they, when even in a little bit, when he quotes what Christ said at the last, in the Last Supper, he's quoting Christ directly. He's not quoting the gospel, which is also interesting to keep in mind. So when he uses the word traditions, these are the things that are being passed down from Christ to the, through the apostles to the churches. I can't tell you exactly what each of those traditions are, what they look like, because he just refers to them as that. But um, yeah. My version says teachings. That makes yeah, and that would that would that would help um, with the understanding. Um, so though he just jumps right into the thing that he's commending them for, that they are keeping uh, a proper order within the church. Um, but I think that he's pulling out one thing out of there that they seem to be a bit confused by. And so he is clarifying. He says, but I want you to understand that every, the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So there is an order in Christian practice. It doesn't mean that, because even when you look at Christ and God, do you go, man, Christ is being oppressed. Like if Christ is below God, we, we don't look at we don't look at Christ that way. Um, but sometimes we look at, well, I'm being oppressed because I'm at the bottom, right? <laughs> and that doesn't seem right. And so we need to be careful we don't um, that we don't put too much emphasis on the order here, if that makes sense. But there is an order that is stated, and this isn't the only place that it's been stated in Scripture. Um, yeah, but I think I want to continue. I can open up for conversation, but I want to continue because he continues to talk about why he why we have this order. So in verse four, he says, "Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head." So 
he's basically saying men should not have their heads covered. So even if you go into church and you see a man wearing their head, a hat, what do you guys, does anyone see a man wearing a hat and you go, that seems slightly disrespectful, right? To have his head, his head covered it, in church. It seems inappropriate. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Good morning. It oh, it's so good to hear that. <laughs> I miss you all so much. Sorry, Julianne. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> No, it just, it does seem, it seems disrespectful or out of place or um, it just doesn't seem right. And why do we have that? Take it off during yeah. prayer? Yeah, yeah. Christoph or our boys, they come in with a hat and they were at home when we pray, they just take it off it's a sign of yeah. respect, right? Uh -huh. So the root of all that is from here. Maybe? I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm, but it's kind of something to consider. I mean, our culture was based on Christian principles and based on scripture. And so we have these things that kind of get passed down. Um, yeah, so. There's got to be something to it. Uh, so when, but like we said, for the man, for men and women offering sacrifices to idols, they were to wear, they're supposed to put a head covering while they're doing it. So for Paul to say, remember men, you got to not, not put the head covering on when you're praying or prophesying. It's kind of a big, a big thing for men, but for us, we don't have a problem with it. We're like, okay, yeah, right? Um, we have a problem with the next verse, right? Mm -hmm. um, so and when he says praying or prophesying, this means corporate worship. So when, okay, let's go to the next verse. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as, as if her head were shaven. Okay, so a woman or a wife so the word in Greek for woman and the word for wife, they're, they're interchangeable. Oh, okay. So, like you... Same Spanish. And French. Yeah, but not, 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 not in that same context. Because you have a senora. It's not a senorita. Uh -huh. Yeah, but it's, 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 like but French. Woman, yeah. it's woman. Yeah. There's no, there's only it's. Well, you could say epouse, right? Epouse. Yeah, you could say your spouse. But it, yeah, uh -huh, exactly. But there's yeah. no word for wife in French. Um, yeah. yeah, my woman. My woman. <laughs> so it's the same in Greek. So there's it. You have to do, understand it by context. Mm -hmm. And I think because Paula had been talking about husbands and wives, 
I think you can say that this is in the circumstance of um, a husband and wife in worship. Uh, yeah. But you could also interpret it the other way, and it just be women and men. So you decide. <laughs> I don't know. Excuse me, Julianne. Mm -hmm. uh, isn't it interpreted also that the head covering for a woman is to be covered in uh, covered by Christ, the the salvation of Christ? Isn't that what Paul's speaking of? Also, I mean, when I was reading it, I felt that it it was about our being covered by Christ, our salvation of Christ. Um, I don't think that that has the sense in this passage. Um, I think that as, as we continue, I think we'll kind of start seeing what the purpose of the head covering was. That makes sense. Thank you. Okay. But I think that's a good, that's a good, um, that is a good point, though. To kind of, and this is, we need these discussions to say, yeah, is it this, is it that? I, I don't know if that sense is here or not, but we'll keep it in mind as we continue. So you talked about how, because my translation doesn't say wife, so that's like a new angle in this. Is mm -hmm. it only corporately, or is it like even in the home, like if the man should always be? So this is praying and prophesying, and I think they put the two together because it's something done in corporate worship. Okay. What did the women prophesy? Was it different from the men? I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't answer that. So all I know is that in the Old Testament it says your, you know, your, your daughters will prophesy, and so you have the aspect of women will be involved in worship at, at some future date, when most of the time women, we were kind of on the outskirts of worship, on formal worship. So is this the passage people would do would use to say that women shouldn't be a pastor at a church? No. No, I think that's coming up. Okay. Yeah. That's in a couple weeks, I think. That was one of the questions. <laughs> what is that date in that question series? Oh, yeah. yeah, there's a whole sermon message on it. I think Kirsten was part of it, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. What happened to Kirsten? She was just So, um, okay, so we have these, these aspects. So let's just continue going, kind of talking through the passage. If uh, a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her, let her cover her head. So he's kind of making the equivalent of, okay, cutting your, shaving your head, cutting your hair off, which, and that, so let's talk about what that could mean in that, in that circumstance. Um, Shaving of the head was a sign of poverty. It was kind of your last last bit of money. I'm going to cut my hair off and sell it. So that could have been part that could be which could bring shame on the family. Um, it also was a sign of re, of a rejection of womanhood. I mean, the stuff that we're, that we're dealing with in our culture is not new. They had it in the Greek culture also, women that would ref refuse that they were women. That was also there. So it's not like we're coming up with new things. Um, but so 
if you choose to do it that way, that was another, that could be another inter interpretation of seeing a woman with short hair or a shaved head. Uh, it was also a type of punishment brought on the husband, that the wife would be, her head would be shaven and set out to, to watch, and it would be a way to shame the husband. Yeah, so whatever that punishment might be, so whatever, I'm, I'm not really sure. Like dishonor? Huh? Like dishonoring? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, um, so if the husband did something that was punishable, they could, they could shave his wife's head and put her out, um, which would be a shame to him as, as well as her, but... Um, so you have those aspects of what the shaved head means. There are some disputes of whether or not uh, prostitutes in the temple had shaved heads. It, that it's, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I've heard that before. Uh, so you have that we have to recognize cutting your hair short, it said something, and it was not, it was shameful. It wasn't something... Like, you've got a nice hairstyle. It's, it's different. So it was a statement. Um, I know. I'm, I am sorry, Dale. I had to look at you. So, um... So a woman not having her head covered could be a sign of disrespecting um, or rejecting her husband. Okay, let's say I get in a fight with my husband, so I'm not going to wear my hair covering to church so everyone knows I'm angry with him. That's a problem, right? Um, it also could be a sign that she's showing she's available, saying, I'm done with this marriage, I'm available now. And so you have, there's all these different underlying things with the head covering. And so when he makes these, these connections to women and their, women having their head covered and shaving their head, these all kind of show the idea of it brings shame on them and also their husband. So um, these are kind of things that we need to keep in mind as we continue, right? Okay, so before we go into the next section, let's read Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Um, just to give us some base to where he's going. Uh, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created him, created man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's important to... To understand God created man and women in his image in his glory right Genesis 2 21 and 24 this is another important thing to note so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the the rib that the Lord God had taken out of the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last 
is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So just before this, uh, um, Adam was looking for a helpmate, right? So God gave Adam that helpmate through Eve. So God gave woman to man. We need to have that understanding, okay? Both created in God's image. So, Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I heard that there's one version on that, um, verse 24, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, that applies to a woman also? A woman should leave his father and mother? Um, and cleave to his wife? Um, I'm sure that people, I'm sure that pastors have said, this does not mean you get to stay with your family and you only do holidays with your with your mother and not his this is not that's not what this is about (laughs) so I think that because yeah we need there's there's kind of I've heard pastors make those stretches I don't I don't think it's there in the Hebrew I think it's just an interpretation In the context of the of how things worked at that time, um, yeah, because usually the 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 daughter was, you know, they well, and you, there's the bride price, and you pay the bride price, and the woman becomes part of you, but you're not going to stay at your father, you know, you're not going to stay with your father and. You, you're becoming a man. You're taking that position where you're now cleaving with your wife and not your husband, not your father's house. So it's, yeah. I, yeah. So, but that's not really part of this discussion. So we're going to continue. <laughs> that's a whole nother, a whole nother subject. But, okay, so verse 7, he says, and he's quoting, he starts quoting um, Genesis and referring to it. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. So he's going back to the Genesis um, 2, 21 to 24. He's saying the purpose God created humans right man and male and female yes they were created in his image um but at the same time they god took a rib out of man and out of that rib woman was created and so and he was and she was created not in the form of a deer or of in the form of whatever she was she was formed in the glory in the image of man, so in the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, wait, did you even talk about verse 10 about the angels over? We're not there yet. Oh, okay, sorry. So, so 7 and 8. So when he says that woman is the glory of man, this really has the idea, the same idea as the image. He was, she was made and formed in the same way that man was. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's like man was made in the image of God, woman's an extension of man, made in the image of God? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I like that. Yeah. It's an extension of man <laughs> yeah. made in the image of God. I like that. Because he makes it very clear later on that man is not independent from woman. So this is not like, okay, it's a man's world and women aren't, are nothing. Um, and really, this is a step up from where women were at that time. So we have to recognize that also. Oh, I have my dog running. Maybe you're my dog. Why is she okay? Oh. Hello, Holly? Holly? Are you okay? I'm sorry. I moved around and I thought I crushed my pup. Oh. Uh. Is she okay? Okay. Yeah, no, I'm fine. Good. I'm laying on my bed. Okay. Don't scare us. Oh, like that, <laughs> Are you sure you're okay? Yes, I am. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Sorry, my, my little person. I think you scared all of us. Okay. Oh, now that we're all awake, oh. let's get. Um. Okay, so he says, so from man, and so the purpose, the purpose in creation was woman was made for man. This is just how God created. This is the order that God created things in. And he said, that is why a wife ought to have the symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because of this order, women should have the, the sign of authority. So when he says this, people are like, is this the head covering that she should have, or should she be having long hair? Because of what he says later. Because it says the long hair is as a covering to her. It's this verse has been interpreted both ways so um and it's not clear so don't know uh because of the angels there is a reference to psalms 8 if someone i think it's psalms 8 verse 5 and it says that man is made um, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor and so referring to 58 I mean 85 <laughs> um, so and it also there's it refers to it in, oh, I can't remember now. Another one of Paul's letters, he refers to the, the same passage. But um, I think we need to recognize here that right now we are, because remember in, verse, in chapter 6 it said that we are to judge angels, but right now we're not at that point. We're not judging angels right, right now, but when Christ returns, we will. And so there, there's kind of this hierarchy. He's like, and because of the angels, we're showing this, that there's an authority over us. It's not an easily interpreted little phrase. So. I heard that 
that's all like I got. Angels are in the present, are in our presence, like during our worship. So we want to be like good examples. Like that's an interpretation I heard. Could could be. I read that it was like they were there at the beginning when God created, and so they saw the order of creation and the design of the design and holiness. That sounds good too. It's like he's referring to something they all know and we're unaware of. So I, <laughs> it's hard. There are certain things in, especially in First Corinthians, where he makes statements and you're like, I don't. No one seems to even know where it's coming from. And so there's been lots of different speculations of what it means. I like the one. I like Ellie's <laughs> about they saw the creation order and because they saw it, they were there at creation. Um, but angels were also created, so but they were created before man. Yeah. So we have all of that. But I think what we need to recognize is that there is an order to creation. And because of that, there are different roles and there are different um, roles is the right word. There are different roles for each. But verse 11, he said, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent from man, nor man from woman. Um, even though there is an order, man was made first. That doesn't mean he is ind independent or separated from women. And it doesn't mean that he can push women down, right? <laughs> so God created them to be interdependent. It also doesn't mean that we as women should try to overpower men. It's con that's, that's not what our culture says. So, um, My commentary says they, they should not demand some superiority. superiority. What what's the definition of superior? What's the definition of superiority? Is that authority? Being more than the other, right? I mean, that's how I. So there's an order and a role and a place. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. They're like okay, they, he has more authority or whatever, but that doesn't mean that he's more. Than, they both need to each other. They're, Right? Yes, yes. So it's, it's not like he's more because he has more authority. Right. So, and when, but when you look at um, a husband, wives should submit to their husbands also. There is an order there that, yeah, you, you discuss together, but if there's a disagreement, the husband, you sh the husband makes the choice. He always has the yeah, he says yes, dear. Exactly. <laughs> he always has the last word. I love that. So these are not easy issues, um, and trying to find the right <laughs> balance between um, between these things is important. But I think that one thing we need to recognize is that as the feminist movement in America is not is is very much. Women need to be in 
need to have that place of prominent power. And so that's not what scripture teaches. And there's no blessing in that. And so we just need to be careful. Oh, it's down at the bottom. Okay. Yuck, buddy. That's gross. Straighten up. Okay. Um, so, but in the Lord, both are present and responsible and dependent on each other. And we have to remember that he's also still talking about corporate worship. So we're all there together, right? So we're not going to split men and women into different places for corporate worship. Um, yeah. And then verse 12, for as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Um, and this is really this interdependence that even just in the nature of how God made things, men do not produce men. Women produce men. It's weird, right? I'm like, I think... My first, it's awesome, Dale says it's awesome. I remember when, when Isaiah was born, I'm like, it was kind of weird for me to give birth to a boy. I was like, it's a boy, babies should be girls, right? I'm a girl, so the baby should, but it was, but this, I know, it was kind of stupid. It's just my way, my, my way of processing things. But um, it was kind of that, like, no, there is an interdependence between the two, although... God made woman out of man, out of woman comes man. Well, that's like phase one, and then phase two, it works differently. Yeah, right. phase two, yeah. Right. So, right. And yeah. Yeah. And nurturing. Yeah. yeah, my little man. Exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> my little man. Woman. <laughs> um, but then I think it's important that he puts here, but all things come from God, mm-hmm. which is where we need to recognize uh, our final authority is God. And so... Uh, now, the question I think you could ask is, where do the single women fit? Right? So they skip the husband part directly to Christ. Could that go back to what we studied with right. when Paul says? It's better for you to remain single. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they have to have a spot somewhere, right? Yeah. And so their spot is before Christ. Okay. So would those women would, would always be covered then? I mean, uncovered? So let's continue. Okay. <laughs> Verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Come to your own conclusion. Is it proper for a wife to, if is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? So this could be a woman also. Okay. Is it proper? Um. Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace to him? Okay, that's going back to men covering their heads, right? And if, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Do you see where all of a sudden the interpretation of all of this passage, you go, so are we supposed to wear a covering or not wear a head covering? I don't think so. Well, they did it. Jewish guys now, and their hair's here. Well, they have the they have the the prayers, the prayer curls, or whatever. Um, so, 
And then in verse 13, it says, if everyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Um, just to kind of rephrase that, he's like, all the churches are practicing this the same way. So you need, why, why make it different? But we have to recognize this is all, all of these passages are all in the same realm of Christian freedom. Last chapter he said all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So if we, now we read this passage, and on Sunday, everyone that's in here, on Sunday you're going to come to church with your head covered, right? How do you think that would go? How do you think that would, how, what do you think would people would be talking about on Sunday? Your hair covered. How weird you look. Thursday morning women's Bible study. And they'd be like, why are you wearing it? Well, because we read the Bible. Yeah. Do you see where the problem is lying now? Yeah. Is it causing unity or is it causing dissension? And so now for me to go to, when we were living in Chad, for me to go to church with my head covered would have been the talk of the town. Or uncovered. Uncovered, yes, sorry, uncovered. If I would have gone to church with my head uncovered, that would have been the talk of the town. The missionaries at church with their head uncovered. What does that mean? What is she telling us? What is that, you know, so you can't... That's like Paul saying, I do this with them, I do this, I try to be all things to all people. Mm -hmm. And so we have to recognize that we do live within a culture, and so we need to be... We need to be uh, aware of that. Uh, yeah, it's like, I mean, don't so many, the majority of African women have shaved heads or very short hair? Mm-hmm. How do they look at that if a woman has long hair, it's her glory? In Kenya, they called it the shamba cut. So it's mostly the shamba, for, like, for London, right? just to be it's, it's, it's also, it's expensive to put braids in. And it takes a lot of time. Right. So, I mean, it can take eight hours to put braids in. I mean, the, when we were in Kenya, we would spend Saturdays just braiding hair. I mean, that's what we did with our so students. All the, all the little kids in the Jim Jones Children's Home down in Tanzania, their heads are all shaved. Because it's, it's, just, it's just easier. Yeah. So, again, it's culture. So you wouldn't look at a little girl with her head shaved in, out in the bush and be like, She's trying to be a boy. Yeah. You, no, it's not. It's not. It's not the statement there. So we have to recognize each culture is a little different, um, and we need to look at those. Going to change him. I think he's done. Did you? I think he pooped. Oh yeah, he did. I just was watching. Oh, here. Do you? Here. Do you want this? Yeah. Good luck. All right. Um, so these are just kind of some of the things that we need to think about when we go, when we are doing these things. And to say, not every church across the world right now practices head coverings. Um, and I think that there is, I think you need to come down to the conclusion in your own heart uh, and with with the Holy Spirit, not just like thinking, um, where you fit. So, like this, yeah. I'm going to do it uh, on the mat tonight.
dreads and did long hair. And when he was in Mexico, when he went to like remote villages mm -hmm. to share the gospel, the the leaders that were that he was going with were like, "You need to shave your head. Mm -hmm. Like that's going to be a hindrance to, to like we don't want any sort of hindrance to you sharing the gospel. And when you go into this village, like they're not going to be focused on like what you're sharing mm -hmm. about Jesus. They're going to be looking <laughs> at like your long dreadlocks and mm -hmm. this white boy with long dreadlocks. So like he. And like in the in different places he's had to live, we've had to like assess. Like when we went to Cambodia, he's like, oh yeah, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to shave my head because he's Ethiopian. Mm -hmm. But yeah. that actually wasn't like a hindrance in that culture, so he kept it. So like wherever we live, we have to like reevaluate. Um, and like when we go to Belize, it's actually like very uh, popular, very <laughs> common, and so it's almost like a like a gate, like an open door into like being able to. I don't know, it's just interesting because I was thinking about like yeah. men with long hair and like the cultural aspect of that. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's right. That's just kind of like what you were saying. Like we felt like we had to like bring it before the Lord and discuss mm -hmm. and like talk to other leaders who know the culture and know like um, or natives. Like is this going to be a hindrance or is this something that like isn't really going to affect or affect? Yeah. I find it interesting that it's easier to do that when you go into someone else's culture. And in your own culture, be like, forget it. I can do whatever I want in my own culture. I don't understand that. Because I, I feel that way in our culture. When we're here in the States, I'm like, well, our culture should change. <laughs> you know, like, you know, but um, yeah. I think that's a good example. Um, there was, in one of our missionary classes at, at Moody, there was, a, there, was, there was an example of every night these two single missionary women would sit on their porch and drink limeade. There was tons of lime trees around, and they would sit on the porch drinking limeade. And it took a year before the locals came and said, do you know that for a woman to sit out in front drinking lime juice is a symbol of prostitution? They're like, no, we didn't know that. So there's like, there's certain things, and you go into cultures, you're like, you're going to fail. But... If you, yeah, it is. It is random. But they ended up having to leave that place and go to a different place because of that. I was in the Philippines somewhere. But anyways, and not not everywhere in the Philippines is like that. It's just in that that area. So. So, so I think when we come down to this passage, we'd have to say. What is, well, let's continue. So there's my questions, but we're going to continue. Going into now another area of corporate worship between wealthy and poor people. Okay. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you came together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together, as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be fra there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating 
one goes ahead with, your own, with his own meal, and then one goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Um, I think that even getting to the end of these, once we get to the end of this kind of uh, break with the men and women in worship and now wealthy and poor, I think we'll kind of come down to a conclusion on how we're to interpret these things. But um, So he commends them in following the order, right? But he's like, but make sure that you have the understanding why we do this, okay? And then he's saying, I'm not commending you in how you're practicing the Lord's Supper in worship because your coming together is not bringing you together. It's actually causing more divisions with your coming together, uh, which is kind of an interesting play on words that he uses there. The coming together is not actually bringing unity, not bringing together. Uh, And this next part where he says, and I believe this in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. I first read that as a statement, and then I read it with irony. Because I, th- I think that that's the irony here is showing, no, we need to make these divisions so that we can see who's approved by God. And I think he's talking tongue-in-cheek here. I, don't, I think this is his, the, that sarcasm that is coming out. Because he's saying... These, these divisions aren't helpful for you, and you think that it is helpful, but it's not being helpful, and it's not showing you who's that, who is approved. Um, in verse 20, then he says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Although you think you're coming together for the Lord's Supper, you're not actually practicing it. Because the Lord's Supper, the purpose of the Lord's Supper was to bring unity among the body of Christ, and what they were practicing did not do that. Uh, and so he explains why. He says, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. That's not, that's not coming together for the Lord's Supper. Um, one is left hungry. One gets drunk. He's like, these are not, this is not, we're not, they're not there for a festival. They're there for the Lord's Supper. And he's like, if you do it this way, this is not actually doing what God, what Christ had given us to do. Um, I think there are, there's an aspect of culture that we need to recognize. It was common practice um, in a festival setting or in some sort of feast that the wealthier or the more esteemed guest would be served better food and more food and those that were less important guests would be served less food and less nice food. <laughs> and so there was divisions in that and how people were served. And so if you went to a gathering and you were among the high, the high esteemed, you would be served all of this good food. And if you were just, if you came in last, you know, and you were like the last to be invited and you're there, they'd give you the leftovers. 
Does that make sense? And he's like, when Paul calls them out on this, he's really saying, you're doing just what everyone else is doing. And you're making divisions between the rich and the poor within your own congregation. And that's not what we, t- we are to do. Okay, so he may, then he makes a statement, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Which is like, you have a place to, to eat and to feast. You can go and do that where, where you may please. But when you come into the church of God, you're really humiliating your brother and causing more divisions. And he's like, I'm not going to commend you in the way that you're practicing um, the Lord's Supper. So one of the things that we have to recognize is that the wealthier people had more free time. And so when they came to the gatherings, they came early. They started eating without, without the poor people that didn't have as much free time. And so they came in later after work, and the food is gone. So they're not being respectful of each other in that. And so you have all of these, you have those that are not, that are going hungry, and then those that are there, they had started drinking earlier, and so they're continuing to drink, and they find themselves in a state of drunkenness, which is not to be found within the church, right? That's pretty clear, right? Um, And he's just saying this is not Christ-like. And then he goes into what it should look like for the Lord's Supper. And we have to recognize Christ died for the poor and lowly of the world. Right? He didn't, it wasn't the Pharisees that he was trying to convince that he was the son of God. It was the, the poor sinner, right? <laughs> um, and he said we, they need to also practice that in the same way. So he then says, and we use this a lot, right? this passage when we do the Lord's Supper, you hear people from the pulpit or whatever pulpit stage, they say, uh, I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he said, This is how it should be. There is more to the Lord's Supper than eating and drinking. It's a remembrance of what Christ has done, but it also should impact our lives and how we are interacting with those around us. Um, right, we talked a little bit about Jesus' tradition, that what the Lord has given to me, I now deliver to you, because the Gospels weren't written at the time, so when Paul is quoting, he's quoting from Christ, right? So... Um, from what Christ said. So, uh, um, but let's just talk a little bit about the symbolism of the bread. Remember that the Lord's Supper was when Christ went, the Last Supper, and Christ broke the bread, and they had the, 
the, um, the wine. The symbolism of the bread was the unleavened bread of the Passover, which was the bread of affliction, um, or, and it symbolized the suffering of Israel. But with Christ, Christ claims that he is the bread, that, he, that his body is the bread. So, and this is symbolizing his suffering. And so as we, as we are, um, so as we take the bread, we have to recognize that this is a symbol of suffering. Now, to go ahead and start eating when everyone's not there and not participate together in the suffering of Christ is not very humble. <laughs> and so it showed the proud heart of those that came early. Uh, and so he's putting forward all these things to remind the Corinthians why they do, why they practice the Lord's Supper. Uh, the Passover lamb was also um, was killed for the saving of the lives of the Israelites in the same way Christ's body was broken to save the lives, to save our lives for all of eternity. And so you have those aspects. And I'm sure you guys are already all aware of these things. Um, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So the cup was a representation of the new covenant established by Christ's sacrifice. So, and this idea of remembrance was, um, it's not just an action of eating or drinking done without reflection. So it's to be done in the context of reflecting on Christ, uh, reflecting on what he has done, and they weren't doing that. They're like, we're going to come together for the Lord's Supper. We're going to start eating before the other people get here. And there's no mention of Christ's sacrifice. Who even knows if they prayed before they ate? You know, we don't know. Um, but it was clear that they weren't practicing that. Uh, and as often as you eat this bread or drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This purpose is to, rem- is to remember Christ's self-giving sacrifice for us. It's, this is just another pointed thing. He's like, this is his death, right? He gave himself up, and this is a self-giving sacrifice. And yet, you guys come together to practice this, and you are dividing yourselves up into who is greater and who is lesser. It's like, that's not how it should be. So he goes now into kind of that explanation. So whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Okay, we're going to come back to that last part. Um, He's basically calling him out, saying, you're not doing this in a worthy manner. This is unworthy, the way that you guys are doing this. Because you're not considering the body of Christ. The body of believers was also the body of Christ. And so when he says, you're, he, when you're doing this in an unworthy manner, let him examine himself. So examine your heart. 
and repent of the sin, the wrongdoing, your sin, and not make wrong make your wrongs right with other believers. And in this way, when you're practicing um, communion a lot, you're keeping short accounts with people around you also. So before you take communion, you go and you deal with your issues with other believers. You consider the body. So those that aren't considering the body, you need to also that He's kind of saying you're you're not judging yourself, so you're not making you're not looking in and saying what is my actions doing to those around me. Um, and so then he then he goes into saying like okay for, that's why some of you are ill, and some of you have died because you're not even considering what your life how your life is around you. You're not judging yourselves, but if we judge ourselves truly then we will not be judged. So, and when he's talking about that, he's saying, when you're, you're examining your heart, you're making sure that, those around, that your relationships around you are in the right, in, in its right place as much as you can. I think you go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5 when he says, if you're there offering a sacrifice and you know some, your brother has something against you, and you go and you make it right, and then you offer your sacrifice. It has the same idea here. It's like if you know, if you know that your brother has something against you, you go and try to make that right as the best you can. And when you do that, then you can go and freely offer. And you're not going to be then offering yourself up to God's judgment for you. Does that make sense? It's a little complicated, but um, but we have to be careful not to use this point in saying, okay, you got sin in your life, that's why all these bad things are happening to you. Because that's not always how God works either. So, um, yeah, just be careful. Um, and then the last thing he says to them is, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. He's like, you're going to do this together. We're going to remember everything together. Um, if anyone is hungry, eat at home. Don't Gorge yourself on the Lord's Supper. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose is of remembrance of what Christ has done. Um, so let your appetite not get you into trouble or cause divisions. Interesting. And then so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So meaning that as you're coming together as the body of Christ, it's not judgment that you're coming together for, God's judgment on you for not, for not, for kind of, it's almost a false front coming up before God and saying like, hey, we're here before you, but we know we have all these other issues, but we're choosing not to look at them. He's like, you need to deal with your stuff and then come. Um, Now don't take that to the nth degree that you can't come to Christ because you have sin in your life. That's not what it I means. Confess your sin and come forward. Um, and then he says, and the other things, I will give you direction when I come. So whatever the list was that they had, he's like, uh, I'm not going to write any more about those things. We'll talk about it in person. So whether, whether they were individual issues that he didn't feel like were corporate enough to write in the letter, who knows. So... Um, so I think when we come down to this, the main point that he's saying is, yeah, okay, there's an authority and an order that God has designed. Men and women are interdependent. 
Women should have their head covers. The reason for taking communion is unity and remembrance of what Christ has done. So all of these things point to what? To the unity of the body in relationship to God. And so if that, I think that is our principle or the thing that we need to pull from these passages is that is what I'm doing beneficial to the body of Christ or is it causing divisions? So, and I do, I do think there are times where divisions are necessary. Um, like when someone starts preaching that you can be free from sin before Christ returns, like things like that. There are, there are issues or saying that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. It was just, you know, it was his spirit died, but his body still lived. And then, you know, these, there's things like that that they are cause for division. Um, but the divisions really should be more of a discipline to bring someone back in, not to divide them because you're angry with them. So with all that said, it's a lot. It has a lot in one passage. But So the order of public worship together and what it should look like coming together. Questions, comments, frustrations? It's 11.05. Polly, are you okay? Polly? You still there? Oh, yes, I am. <laughs> Thank you. I'm 